Hey guys, this is Tim. Welcome to Tone Benders. You may have noticed I have not been on the show for quite a long time. Renee has been all alone on the show for the last probably half year, maybe even longer. But I am back now. You may rejoice. You may feel sadness. I'm not sure. But uh, I hope to be on the next many episodes and be back to kind of full swing with the podcast. Many thanks to Renee for covering for me while I was gone. Uh, you may notice that I am not in a sound booth recording this crystal clear audio. I'm uh, in a bit of a busy streak right now, so I figured I would record this intro while I walk to go get my lunch. So I've thrown a lapel on, got my uh, 702 over my shoulder, and when I cross the street, you will notice that I look both ways and I go off mic like this. Hello guys. How you doing? Uh, so when you hear that, just deal with it. That's the problem of walking in the big city. You can't get hit by a car, so it must look both ways. Anyway, so I've been away for good reason. Uh, we had a baby, my wife and I. And uh, unfortunately, there were some complications with my wife, and she had to stop working and bed rest and all that such. So I had to just tell Renee, I got to take some time off the podcast to just deal with some real world family stuff. But luckily, the baby is well, my wife is well, and I am back at it. I'm walking uphill, so I'm actually slightly getting out of breath while I'm talking and walking. That shows what great shape I'm in. Oh, Lord, that's embarrassing. Anyway, uh, so now I'm back. The other thing I did that I thought was really, well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but interesting, is I rebuilt all the sound effects in my library. So I've been doing this for quite a long time, the whole sound effects editing, and I had some stuff in my library that was quite old. That was Sound, sound Designer 2 files, I had AIF files, and I had WAV files. So went through my library, loaded everything in, both that I've recorded and purchased libraries, made everything uniform and went into the metadata of everything and made it squeaky clean and changed things that certain library providers do that I don't like and made it more the way I like to search things. And the one thing I realized during all this is that SoundMiner is one hell of a program. I did all of this mangling of metadata. Ooh, mangling of metadata. It sounded poetic. I did all of this in SoundMiner and uh, I did not know how deep you could go with SoundMiner. It is so awesome. I knew there was lots of stuff to do, but there was lots that I'd never even tried to do or thought of to do before. And uh, it made it what could have been an endlessly daunting task into just a mostly daunting task. So I spent a couple weeks between projects massively rebuilding my sound effects library. And I think as of yesterday, I'm finally done with the sound effects library and everything is the way I want. Now, when I say that, I'm sure as I start using this new library, I will find, oh, I didn't fix that one, I didn't fix that one. But the point is, Man, did I go deep in SoundMiner, and that is a powerful, powerful tool. It's pretty cool. So, something I wanted to talk to you guys about is uh, why we haven't been able to do a podcast quite as often as we used to. When we first started for the first couple years, we were doing at least one a month, sometimes two a month, and then it slowed down to a bit of a trickle now. One of the reasons is that I left Renee all alone for a little while there. But another reason is we both have kids now. When we started the podcast, we didn't have kids. And also, both of our careers have been moving forward, and uh, we have more responsibilities with work as well. So, cutting the podcast is becoming a bit more of a chore. Now, we don't want to stop doing the podcast, because we both love the podcast, and we hope that there are people out there that look forward to getting the episodes. So, what we're hoping to do is maybe find some people out in the world that might want to help us a little bit by uh, chipping in with some work for us. 
recently I got an email from one of our listeners who lives in Edmonton who was flying into Toronto and asked if I wanted to meet up and have a chat and shoot the breeze a little bit. And we ended up finding a time that worked and we hung out and this guy was super cool. And at the end of our uh, hangout, he said, you know, if you ever need any help with the podcast, just let me know. I'd love to edit something. Told Renee this and he was like, yeah, that would be awesome. So what we're hoping to do is to continue doing the interviews and maybe doing the segments and then reach out to people for us to send the raw files to to cut and mix them down to podcast levels so that we can uh, put it out for everybody. And then also, if people out there have ideas for segments, feel free to let us know. Maybe we can include those. Basically, we're just looking for people who want to be a part of the podcast, and we're going to try it out and see if it works, see if it works for the people, see if it works for us, and uh, maybe that can be a way to move forward, put out episodes a little more frequently and take a bit of the workload off Renee and I who after 44 episodes, you know, that amount of workload is starting to weigh on us a little bit, if you will. So if you're interested, oh, big truck going by there. If you're interested in taking part in this or helping us out or just putting a feeler out to see what it would entail exactly, please send me an email at tim at tonebenderspodcast.com. Again, that's tim at tonebenderspodcast.com. And uh, I will get back to you, and depending on how many people respond, we will either be throwing stuff your way right away, or maybe it might take a little while, I'm not sure. But uh, we'll see how this works. It's an experiment. It's a test of the emergency podcast system. Dun, dun, dun. So anyway, oh, off mic again there. Uh, so that's that. So now I am almost at the place I'm going for lunch. So what I'm going to do is throw you guys to a segment I did. I was recently lucky enough to get a copy of Vocal Synth by Isotope, their new uh, voice mangling plugin. Now, I think it's designed for music guys to do crazy uh, vocal effects on singing and harmonies and such. What I wanted to do was kind of try and test it out and see if it could be used for sound design to make new worlds, make new ambiences, make new engine sounds, make new servo sounds. So I just kind of opened it up with a mic, opened in Pro Tools, and went through the presets and uh, tried to see what it can do. So I am now just walking up to the building where I'm going to go grab my lunch. So I'm going to throw you guys to that segment, and I'll catch up with you guys after I've got my belly full. See you later. What I've got set up here is Isotope's new plugin called Vocal Synth. It's used for music a lot. That's what it's designed for. And there's a million videos out there to show you how to do the Daft Punk technique and all that kind of thing. But what I'm going to try and do with it today is do some sound design with it. Try and make it do some things that maybe it wasn't necessarily designed for, but I think are kind of cool. What I've got set up is I've got my Pro Tools open. I've got the vocal synth set up on a track, the mic going into it, and then that is being bussed out to another track so I can record the vocal synth effect on the voice and we are going to play around. So first off, let's just get kind of the basics here. Uh, so you can do kind of robot voices. Hello, my name is Tim. I am the host of the Tone Benders. So that's kind of cool. It's a cool effect. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You can do some kind of roary type effects like take some of the delay off that. It's got a lot of distortion in it but just talking sounds kind of cool. 
You are listening to Tone Benders. So that's another robot type voice. A couple things I want to try and do are uh, vehicle design for sci-fi vehicles. So maybe you can imagine uh, some kind of floating speed racer. That kind of thing. Something else we could try is uh, some servo type sounds. Let's try this. So some servo-y type stuff there. Here's some stuff that might be cool for whooshes. Yeah, maybe that one's not so great. Sorry, I've just accidentally closed the window here. Let me get it back open. Oh, here we go. So this one's kind of cool for power-ups, if you need to design power-ups. So here we'll go to the vocal synth mic. Those are kind of cool. What else do we got? Maybe some snaky type sounds here. Yeah, I don't really like that very much, actually. Uh, what else can we try? Oh, this is quite good for force fields, I think. There's some kind of cool things, so it looks like... kind of thing. Another force field that's kind of cool might be if you needed to design one. That's kind of cool. Uh, some telemetry maybe. Then there's weird feedback effects you can do, like... <laughs> kind of like a guitar feeding back. Even with the voice, it's kind of crazy. some more engine-type sounds. And then low. So all in all, it's a fairly cool plug-in. Like, I was just ripping through the presets and uh, trying things out there. So some of them worked, some of them didn't, but I'm sure 
if I spend the time to really dig deep or I have an actual design that I'm trying to build, I'm going to turn to this to build some of the spaceships and stuff like that just by making the noise with my mouth, processing it through vocal synth and really getting in deep and tweaking the levels. It's kind of a dirty plug-in because a lot of the effects have artifacts to them or uh, weird decays. Things like force fields where those artifacts are positives because they're supposed to be little glitchy sounds. It's, I find that it's really good for... I found some other presets that I didn't quite get to here that are kind of really cool for vehicle noises that have kind of a growl to them that you might not get otherwise. And adding that to maybe like a real engine sound, like taking a motorcycle sound and then adding your vocal synth mic treatment to that original motorcycle sound can make some really cool synthy space vehicles and such. So all in all, I think it's kind of a cool plug-in, but I don't have any need to really, I don't ever record music, so I'm not going to be doing any major vocal gymnastics with it for pop music or anything. But for sound design, I think it can be kind of a cool new toy, another uh, tool in your toolbox. So check it out for yourself at Isotope's website. Okay guys, I'm just getting in a revolving door. I'll walk around a couple times so you guys can hear it. So that was the revolving door. I'm now outside of the building the restaurant was in. I've got a full belly. And now I am walking back to the studio. So I hope you liked that vocal synth segment. Next up is a kind of cool interview that I did recently. It's a little off the beaten track for tone benders. This is not a famous sound designer or software designer or anything. This is a guy named Bob Zayak who recently sent a hydrophone down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is 11 kilometers deep or seven miles deep under the ocean just to hear what it sounds like down there No one has any idea what it sounded like until he pulled the hydrophone back up and took a listen So he's a researcher for uh, NOAA, which is based in Seattle and uh, I got him on the phone It's kind of a crappy phone line to be honest with you it disappears So you're gonna hear some pumping of the uh, background of the phone line, but cleaned it up as best I could and uh, here is the interview with oceanic researcher Bob Zayak Our guest today is Bob Ziak. Bob was part of the team that sent a titanium-encased hydrophone more than 36,000 feet or 11 kilometers down into a trough in the ocean floor known as Challenger Deep, the deepest point of the Earth's seabed. Challenger Deep is located in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean near Guam. Until they pulled the hydrophone back up, no one had any idea what the deepest part of the ocean sounded like. So, Bob, tell us, what did it sound like? Uh, well, it sounded a lot like uh, we had a lot of earthquakes. A ship noise. Record a lot of uh, marine mammal calls. So, were you expecting to hear ships down that deep? Uh, you know, we were expecting to hear some some ship noise and some man-made noise like that, but not not to the level we saw. I think. You know, so the Mariana Trench uh, is a well-known seismically seismic active zone, earthquakely earthquake active zone on the planet. Uh, but it, it's a it trench is like a giant trough in the seafloor, and so it's it's kind of this narrow little canyon, and a lot of sound really can't get that deep unless it's directly over the top of the canyon. So we, you know, so I said we we expect that with ships going over the top, we'd see we'd hear them occasionally. But um, given that the Guam and given that Guam is a big 
hub in the Western Pacific. Uh, we expected to see a lot of container ships, but um, so it, it, the activity was just a lot higher than we expected. And in addition to man-made sounds, what natural sounds? You mentioned earthquakes. Did you hear any actual creatures? Uh, well, yeah, we heard earthquakes. Uh, we heard the passing of a typhoon overhead, even a named one called Sudalor. Uh, we also recorded several marine mammal calls, mostly baleen whales. Um, we, we think one was a brutus whale. Uh, also recorded lots of uh, clicks from dolphins and, uh, and or uh, beaked whales, possibly a pilot whale. So, yeah, there's a lot, there were a lot of biological sounds on the record, too. So all these sounds, well, I guess earthquakes wouldn't fall in this case, but the, the ships and the whales and stuff, I'm assuming they are all way up towards the top of the water. Uh, did you hear anything that actually came from the bottom other than the earthquakes? No, actually we didn't. Uh, nothing, I, nothing I would say specifically came from near the hydrophone of the, on the seafloor. And the earthquakes, were they more often than you were expecting? No, as I said, we, we, it's a known seismically active zone there. So we recorded... Uh, a lot of earthquakes that I, I, I was expecting to see quite a few earthquakes. I mean, it was perhaps a little more surprising that the activity was so, was at, at points very intense. I mean, we were, for a couple of days there, there was a, there was a magnitude five earthquake main shock, and this was followed by many aftershocks for a few days afterward. There were one to two to three earthquakes every hour, which is a pretty high, wow. high active, you know, highly active rate. And when this typhoon went over, what, what were the sounds of that that you could hear at the bottom of the ocean? Oh, well, typhoons, um, so it's more of a, so the, the main source of sound from a, from a storm at the sea surface is from wind and wave action at, at the sea surface. So it's, it's all the, the breaking waves make lots of noise, and that penetrates all the way down to the seafloor. So it's, as you can imagine, though, it's, it's a very low-frequency sound. And so it's kind of a low rumbling, but it's over a long period of time. So it's a very... So it's really, you know, it's almost beyond human perception. It's so low frequency, but a lot of the energy is. Although a lot of wave crashing and a lot of wind action, that does make it slightly higher. But overall, it's kind of like a low rumbling thunder. What was the process of getting a hydrophone down there? Obviously, you didn't buy one off the store shelf. I'm assuming this one had to be made to withstand pressures. And how did you get it down there? Right. That, well, that was, the, that was the hardest part of this, this uh, operation. And that was really our, our goal. This is a technological achievement, to be able to design a hydrophone and a pressure case that would withstand these high pressures at the seafloor there, and then also design a, what we call a mooring system, but a, a system that allows it to free fall from the surface down to those depths at a very controlled rate so that it doesn't, that any, the changing pressure doesn't destroy the in- instrument as it goes down. For example, the, the pressure at the sea surface is well is atmospheric pressure about 14 psi, but at the bottom of the Challenge Deep, it's about 16,000 psi. So it's about a thousand times greater pressure uh, at the seafloor than it is at the sea surface. So it takes it takes a lot of very careful engineering design, which was done by our laboratory in Seattle, uh, to figure out a way to make our mooring system, the, the instrument package, to ballast it properly between floats and anchors so that it slow it it sinks at that controlled rate. And they were able to achieve this, but, and the instruments it sank at a very steady rate of about 50 centimeters a, uh, a second or so. Mm-hmm. Still at that speed, which seems kind of high, but it still took six hours for it to <laughs> go from the ship down to the seafloor. And then how much audio did you get down there? Well, because we, we went fairly high frequency by our standards, we recorded from about one hertz uh, up to 32 kilohertz, keeping in mind that the human audible range is about 20 hertz up to, I don't know, 50, 60 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. 
So it, that higher data rate, you know, we're just limited by our current data storage capacity. You For sure. Flash RAM drives like using a camera, a digital camera. Uh, so the, the hydrophone recorded for 22 days. To our knowledge, that at this point is the first uh, sound record ever made it at uh, at bottom of Challenger Deep. We uh, we display it and look at it visually. Mm -hmm. uh, we are able to break the sound record up into its frequency components through time and make a visual display. And then when you do that too, we we, we will color contrast things. So uh, energy that's a, in certain frequency bands that's higher energy will be a brighter color, and things that are lower energy will be a lower, you know, like a different color, like a blue versus a yellow. And so things stand out very clearly when you do that. So an earthquake can look, compared to background sound levels, an earthquake will stand out as this big, bright yellow flash of energy. So, we, you know, that way, and, it's, and similarly, the whale calls will stand out as these little little sweep sounds in, the, in, this, in this display. So in that way, it makes it very easy to pick out the different sources in, of sound in the soundscape there. When one is working on a film or a TV show, we build room tone in the soundtrack. So that's just the, the sound of the room when nothing's happening. And then you add in the dialogue and you add in uh, the sound effects. When nothing is really going on at the bottom of the Challenger Deep trough, what's the room tone? Like, what's just the steady sound? Is it just a low rumble? Uh, I think it would be very similar to what you're saying. It's just kind of not even a low rumble. It's just pretty much ambient sound. There's almost nothing, really. When it's quiet there, it's very, very quiet. Really? Okay. <laughs> As you can imagine. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not only, you know, 11 miles underwater or 11 kilometers underwater. It's also in its little notch canyon. So it's not getting any side sound from side sources. Kind of like static, I would say, for, for huh. lack of a better uh, comparison. And when sound happens, if you're in a canyon, do you get like a reverberation off the walls, or? Very much so. Yeah, you can you can hear that too, and uh, you can hear an example. There's a um, there's active sonar uh, record on this on our hydrophone data too, uh, an active sonar from probably a military vessel, and it sends out a ping, and you can hear the this reverberating around inside the canyons of the. Um, of the uh, trench. How pervasive is man-made sound in the ocean up above? Is it, obviously we've all heard that it's having an effect on marine life, but is this expanded where our understanding of that kind of thing? What's going on with man-made noise is we don't really know exactly how things are changing. We, you know, as you said, it, you, we're beginning to understand that uh, man-made noise in the ocean, either from ship noise or oil exploration, air guns or oil extraction, or you name it, uh, that's having has can have an impact on marine ecosystems. The ocean's getting to be a noisier place, but we don't really have a lot of baseline measurements in a lot of different places in the earth in order to understand just how things have changed. And so that was kind of my goal here is was to not only make some sound recordings to see what what noises are going on, or what you know what man-made noise is going on, but also make a you know get a baseline measurement now. So that you know, two to three decades down in the future, we can say and have a, a good quantitative comparison to see how things may have changed. How the heck did you get it back up? Uh, we use a thing called an acoustic release. So the instrument package, the mooring again, is a float, and then there's the hydrophone beneath the float, and then there's an anchor, and the anchor and the hydrophone mooring line are attached by acoustic release. So the anchor is strong enough that it takes the whole float and instrument package all the way to the seafloor. And the float keeps it, you know, it's, it's positively buoyant, so it stays up in the water. And then we go with the, over the top of the, the instrument with the, on the ship, and we're able to communicate with it by a series of pings from the ship. 
a little transducer, and we tell the, the release to let go of the anchor. That's about as, all as complicated as, as it is. But again, the, tr the tricky part is getting it to rise slow enough that it doesn't destroy the instrument. And how long did it take to come up? Six hours to descend and about four hours to come back up to the surface. Were you holding your breath the whole time? No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I was very worried. But the nice thing is that as it's rising, we can still communicate with it. Okay. And get a, de a distance to it. So we knew that you could see at regular intervals that it was rising and rising and rising. But still, even then, you know, there was no guarantee that it wasn't cracked or it wasn't, it wasn't damaged in some way and we were unsuccessful. So it was, it was really exciting to get it back on the ship and then load the data and see that it recorded properly. We can't do a full analysis, but we can tell mm -hmm. that the, uh, the instrument worked. And, uh, and then you cheered vigorously. <laughs> yeah, a lot of back slapping. <laughs> uh, when I was doing a bit of research on you, I came across the phrase ice quakes. Can you explain what that is? Uh, yeah, well, it's our, our way of describing very large uh, sound that come, is created by the cracking apart of a very big iceberg. So these icebergs, you know, they're, they're tens of miles in, in size. They're basically giant uh, floating islands of ice. As they melt and as the wind and waves you know, impact them, they break apart. And sometimes they, they make small earthquakes and sometimes the icebergs can crack in half and they can make really big sounds. And so, it, so it's akin to an earthquake, right? We call it an icequake. The sound of these icequakes can be, are, very, are comparable to the energy release that we have seen from earthquakes. Yeah, in that article I saw it said that during one long, uh, one hour long period, the sound en energy released from the fracturing iceberg was the equivalent to the sound of more than 200 super tankers. So how were you recording this iceberg? There was uh, an, uh, some kind of array of hydrophones underwater? Not only do I work in Marianas, but we have experiments uh, ongoing in, in Antarctica in a couple of, di couple of different areas. Uh, so Antarctica is, you know, it's a continent, but it's under ice. But it, there's, there are active volcanoes there as well. And we've cut out several hydrophone arrays around these submarine volcanoes in, in the Antarctic Peninsula, as well as the Ross Sea, which are two big different areas of Antarctica. Uh, but lo and behold, of course, we you know we, we see volcanic volcanic activity, but we also see uh, an amazing amount of ice-related sounds. You know, from not only the breakup of sea ice at the surface, but also these mega mega icebergs as they're breaking apart, and they they also run into the continental shelves of nearby islands, and they make a huge amount of sound. So that that was sort of why our focus started going into the ice, is because it's a, it was a dominant source of sound in the area. So we're seeing that you know, uh, sound from ice breakup around Antarctica is not only a dominant source of natural, uh, natural sound in the Southern Ocean, it actually can be recorded as far north as the equator or even farther. So actually oh, wow. noise in the ocean is, is really being strongly influenced by the breakup of ice around Antarctica through the global ocean. My mind was blown that it could go 11 miles deep into this trench. Now you're talking about hearing it half the planet away almost. So when we're doing sound design for a film that takes place underwater, what we tend to do is put a very stereotypical kind of underwater rumble with some bubbly noises. And what we're finding out from this conversation is that there's a lot more going on under there than that. Fair to say. It's, it's a very dynamic soundscape uh, in the deep ocean, and I think one that a lot of people don't really appreciate just how active it really is. Obviously, it's important because a lot of marine animals use sound to navigate, orient, and find food. And so 
it's important for us to understand what their sound environment is so that we can understand the, you know, help keep our ecosystems healthy. And just quickly, do you want to tell us how you ended up uh, listening to the ocean for a living? Well, I, uh, I started out uh, doing earthquake research. I've, I'm a geologist, and I'm always, I've always been interested in earthquakes and, and hoping to actually help you know, predict, understand earthquakes, help forecast and predict earthquakes. But um, I ended up getting this, this job uh, working for NOAA, uh, kind of doing earthquake-related related research, but at a time when they had access to uh, uh, a unique uh, listening system in the North Pacific of hydrophones. And so it was, it, it, it was two decades ago, and, and that kind of work wasn't really being done using underwater microphones to listen for seafloor earthquakes. So it, over these years, we've kind of evolved into not only do we look at seafloor earthquakes, but we kind of look at the whole picture of sound in the ocean as well. So it's evolved from being a seismologist now to just kind of general sound in the ocean. I want to thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Bob Ziak. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, that was the interview with Bob Zayak. I'm still walking back to the studio from the restaurant. I'm crossing the street, so I'm going to go off mic as I look both ways and don't get hit by a car. And now uh, I'm going to let you guys go. So again, thanks for tuning in. If you are interested in maybe helping us out with some editing or some uh, transitions design or something like that, please shoot me an email at tim at tonebenderspodcast.com. What we can offer you in return is we'll tell everybody in the podcast who helped us out. Hopefully they'll listen to the editing you did, and if someone needs some editing, maybe they'll look you up. Otherwise, hopefully it's just good karma within the community. But uh, we hope that a couple people will reach out to help us. Actually, we hope there's an avalanche of people reaching out to help us, but let's be honest, it's going to be a couple people. So if you're one of those couple people, if you're one of those special few, Tim at ToneBendersPodcast.com. And now I'm almost back to the studio. So thanks for listening this week. We got a few cool interviews set up for the future. So hopefully we will be back soon with our next episode. Keep listening. Shoot us an email if you're in town in Toronto or in Dallas and you want to say hi. And uh, other than that, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. If you got any questions or ideas for segments, just let us know. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. Over and out. listening to tone vendors you can find us on itunes soundcloud and stitcher if you listen on itunes or stitcher please write us a review while you're there to support the show go to tonevendorspodcast.com and click through our amazon link or leave us a tip you can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on soundcloud keep up to date by following at the tone vendors on twitter or find tone vendors podcast on facebook and youtube Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com. The problem with Renee and I is we're so busy recently, just in case you're curious. That is a crackhead coughing on me right now. Uh, Renee and I have been crazy busy lately.